interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning. Today is Thursday, the 18th of January, and my name is Scott Shera. I am Grace's dad. This podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because Grace's death woke me up, and it woke me up to how programmed I have been and am coming out of, and I hope this program does the same for you. You It took Grace's murder to wake me up, and I don't want anybody to lose their best buddy. We are uh, in a Wisconsin deep freeze. Uh, Thank God it was only four degrees this morning. Uh, and the wind stopped, but we have been below zero every night now for about a week and strong winds. And so the wind chill has been 20, 30 below. It's been it's been a tough, tough few days. By the end of, or the beginning of next week, it's supposed to be in the 30s. So that will really look good. I do want to share one thing this morning. I've got a brand new tie on. And if you look closely, you'll see pictures of Grace, Travis, and my grandsons gave me this tie for Christmas, and I forgot about it. And then I saw this morning when I was getting ready for the show, oh, gosh, I got to wear that tie today. And it, it's pretty neat that the the grandsons figured out how to order a unique tie like that for, for a Christmas gift. Anyway, I always start out with something about Grace. And Don's going to bring up a picture of Grace when she was little. And so can you bring that up, Don? So now this picture obviously answers the question, what was Scott's hair color in the early days? And there it is. So, you know, Grace, uh, she was something. And today we have a very special guest, my first uh, candidate, a political candidate. And Grace's first election, I want to talk to you about that to give you a kind of a a setup for uh, Brooke today. So Grace's first election was the 2020 election when she turned 18 on September 22nd of uh, 2020, you know, immediately, dad, I want to vote. And she didn't have her driver's license, so she didn't have an ID. So we had to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get an ID for her. And, uh, you know, the voting thing was not all that, all that spectacular, but she did vote. But what happened on September 22nd, after we got the ideas, the idea is kind of funny. We went to, uh, set up a checking account for her then because she was 18. And so I had set up a meeting with the branch manager at the credit union where we bank. And so Grace and I are sitting with the branch manager. We get the checking account set up and the manager, her name is Tracy. She says to Grace, would you also like a credit card? And Grace says, of course. And so then she said to Grace, uh, what would you like the limit to be? And Grace says, 30. And the manager, Tracy, says, $30? And Grace, Grace says, no, 30000 You know, so it just, she she got stuff. You know, she really understood uh, what was going on. And she knew how to make people laugh with those type of things. And so we all got a chuckle out of it. All right. So then I want to switch gears just a little bit with this introduction and, and answer the question is, what are you waking up to? And so, of course, I'm waking up to the physical, and Genesis 50:20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So I have become very outspoken about the hospital murder agenda, and that's to help people with their physical preparation for a hospital stay. But there's a, a much bigger thing happening, and I'm going to frame this 
just with two simple scriptures. So, Don, can you bring up sir, of two evils graphic, please? What's going on is Revelation 13 is being played out right in front of our eyes. And Revelation 13 has both the Antichrist, the dragon, and the false prophet, the lamb systems laid out in one chapter. And God tells us in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And the world is being presented to us satanically right now. The great reset, which most people watching this are familiar with, but the false prophet, the great awakening is pre being presented at the same time. And the reason I'm saying that is a false prophet is very simple. There's no acknowledgement of how we got here, which is rejecting God and consequently no repentance. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And what's going on here is we have got um, a, a false prophet system being developed at the same time as the Antichrist system is being exposed. And that false prophet system is trying to get us to believe in things that don't include God. So things that we would, we would all agree with, like a gold-backed currency, uh, Nuremberg too. I mean, these people need to help be held to account. So all that stuff sounds good, but it, it lacks God. Anyway, uh, with that said, I, we're going to bring in Brooke. So Brooke, good to see you and nice to see you again. When, when Brooke and I talked on the phone, she said, Scott, we already met. And that was in uh, February of 2022 in Akron, Ohio. And some of that. So Brooke is a congressional candidate for North Carolina District 10, and she's got a primary challenge coming up on March 5th. Brooke, your last name is pronounced McGowan, right? That's right. Yes. Yes, sir. Brooke McGowan. All right. Well, don't call me sir. Just call me Scott. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> great to see you. It's so great to I see you again, too. Thank you. I would like to uh, read your brief bio that you gave me so that people understand a little bit of background, but we're going to dive into it and then you'll get a chance to say a lot more. So Brooke has been a lifelong conservative activist running for office to be a change agent. Brooke is currently seeking justice for, justice for COVID murders. We'll talk about that in a great degree of detail later. Justice for the January 6th political prisoners. Obviously, that's a, a super high priority and wants to force transparency and make government the servant rather than the master. Her platform is broad and covers many concerns most Americans are feeling, endorsed by various parties from Patriot General Flynn to pro-life evangelist Flip Benham. Brooke is certain she has called for a time such as this. That's the Esther 414 reference that we've talked about many times. And win or lose, she will always stand up for the forgotten American and fight back. So the title today, my first candidate interview, Can Congress Make a Difference? So Brooke, the first question I have for you is, what opened up this opportunity? Well, Scott, we met uh, in February of 2022, as you mentioned, that was a month after my father's murder in the hospital. And wow. um, really, I've been paying attention to what's taken place in the hospitals across the country, just like you have, since our family members have been cut out from our lives. Um, the gov that's government uh, murder, and that's called democide. And really, we're at 1.2 million 
dead Americans now, Scott. I mean, and That's it just right. keeps climbing. Unfortunately, the current hospital uh, protocol is still in play and remdesivir is still being um, prescribed to every, everyone that comes in with COVID. Uh, and, it, and really, I wanted to fight back about, against that. The um, current congressman for this district is Patrick McHenry, and he is no longer seeking re-election. He was a speaker for five minutes. He held the gavel and threw a little fit uh, at the at the lectern, if you recall, right after McHenry or McCarthy was vacating the seat. So, because of the open seat, and when unfortunately we have an excellent mechanism that we can replace people every two years, but there's something called an incumbency bias in the United States. And that's because people have been lied to constantly through the press and through the left, though I repeat myself. And there's a 98% incumbency bias. So when the seat came open, I jumped in because it was an open seat. Patrick McHenry has been serving there for 20 years. I don't have 20 years from now to try to do it then. I wanted to do it now. Now's my time. You know, to frame what Brooke just said with the 1.2 million hospital murders is really important. You know, there it's a ticking number. It keeps going up because the emergency use authorizations are still in place. And they'll always be in place because that's part of the agenda. The emergency use authorization is not just for remdesivir. It's for ventilators and all kinds of other things that are designed to kill us. But that number during the COVID era, which was 39 months, the United States was number one of all 200 countries on the planet. And number two was India at 531,000 deaths, which is four times, uh, India's population is four times that of the United States. So you process that in terms of how could that even happen? Well, it happens because God told us it was gonna happen in Revelation 1823, it's mystery Babylon is gonna deceive with its pharmakia. And that's what is happening. All right, second question I have for you, Brooke, uh, your website bullets. I'm going to have Don bring up some website bullets. I really love this. So Don, can you bring up that page? All right. So let's go to page two. Let's scroll down, please. All right. So look at these, these basic tenants. Oh, I just, I just love these. Brooke, can you comment on, you know, this is, this is something to even write this because people would reject you for what you just wrote, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, and that's not even an exhaustive list. That's just what was on my heart the day that I was putting this all together. Um, obviously, prayer is powerful. We we don't understand how that's really almost like angel rocket fuel. We have to be talking to the Father. And I find my power and my strength on my knees when I look for guidance uh, from the Lord Jesus. Um, taxation is theft. Well, clearly, that's just pretty basic, totally coming after our money, our hard-earned money to do things, ridiculous things now, Scott. As I looked at the 2023 budget, the things that were passed just last year, we've got some silliness going on. We're funding a monkey opera. We're funding uh, studies in Ghana to see if seatbelts and helmets work. Like, we should know this stuff already. We, the people of North Carolina, funded the Napa Valley uh, bike trail and walking trail in Napa Valley, the, one of the most richest counties in the country. And we're funding that from North Carolina. So taxation is theft, and they're using it for silliness. Don't hurt wow. people and take their stuff. That's just simple. Why? why right? I mean... That's part of taxation is theft. Stand up for those who cannot, which is what you've been doing um, with your with your, uh, you know, helping with with Grace's story. Um, 
basically that meant for me uh, pro-life issues too. I've been a pro-life advocate my whole life. Um, I worked for a little while for the Center for Bioethical Reform. I was the Carolinas director for that. And we would go out and put up graphic pictures. I've been attacked. I've been glitter bombed. I've been spit on. And when I mean attacked, I mean physically attacked. Um, you know, stand up for those who cannot. Seek justice. That's what we're both doing regarding these COVID murders, as well as the January 6th problem that we have with political prisoners. We know that was a setup. I've got friends in prison. One of them has a, endorsed me to run for Congress because he knows I'm going to fight for him. Stop war. We are to love our, our enemy. Stop tyranny. That's just the basic American tenet. And just stop the insanity, Scott. We've got so much insanity going on. We got to vote no for those things that come across our desk when we see that as in Congress or even in the state house or if you're a county commissioner. Just say no. It's time to say no. You know, I I have uh, often wondered about getting in the political arena, especially now because of um, how recognizable my name is and people have asked and I just, you know, for me personally, I, I have always wondered how would I ever vote based on biblical principles when the waters are so muddied with pork and compromise? So, for example, you mentioned this, you know, the monkey thing. I, I don't remember the detail of what you just it's said. It's a monkey but, opera. It's a monkey you know, so opera. The, yeah. So how do you, you know, I, you know, when I look at solutions, you know, if, if there were term limits, for example, and every bill had to stand alone and be voted on, it seems like, okay, well then that would make sense. But, you know, that isn't the case. So how do you reconcile biblical principle with voting, knowing that, you know, you're going to be, you know, these things are going to get tagged on to bills and you end up looking like a fool voting for it. So how do you, you do to, that? You, have to, you just have to say no. I would love to see single standalone bills. We've been promised that for how many years that we, oh, we're going to do single standalone bills. Every speaker that comes up and wants to be voted in a speaker says single standalone bills and it doesn't happen. Then just say no to everything. You know, Nancy Pelosi told us we have to pass the bill to know what's in it. That was a clue. They literally do have to do that. I have a friend when when my first husband was uh, flying the president, I had a friend who worked in the Navy. He was the naval liaison officer for Congress. He would sit there with them, the congressmen, and they jump up. They go, oh, we got to go. And they straighten up their tie. We got to go. We got to go vote. No. And they would point to their phone and, and he goes, and then they'd say things like, we don't even know what we're voting on, but we got to go vote no. And so my friend Bart would say, well, why are you going to go vote no? What, and you don't even know what you're voting on. And they'd say, oh, they tell us to. They tell us what to vote on. They, they, they oh, my so, gosh. So the yeah. caucus tells you what to vote on. Your lobbyists tell you what to vote on. Your PACs who own you, probably Pfizer, tells you how to vote. When are we going to send people who are going to stand up to that, Scott? I will stand up to that. If I stand alone, I will stand up to that. And I also will join the Freedom Caucus. There needs to be more of us that know what the Constitution says. Just because something comes across and we it's been an implied power for how many ever years, that's just something that we've accepted. I'm a constitutional purist. If it's not an enumerated power in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which gives Congress the powers, then you're not to be voting on it. I will vote no on anything that's not. Uh, I'm a purist. I'll vote no. Just no. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, people don't realize that any law that goes against what is enumerated, enumerated in the Constitution is illegal. No ex post facto law. So when you drill down to like the medical laws, 
you know, there's a law in Wisconsin, which would be in most states, that is the informed consent law. Well, we found out, obviously, in COVID that they don't consent and they haven't for decades. But why do we even need that law? That law took away our God-given right. Our God-given right was in the Bible. Treat your neighbor as yourself. So we don't need an informed consent law. And by definition, since there's no ex post facto law, that law is illegal. So why did they do it? Well, they did it because of the Antichrist agenda. So now once there's a claim against the doctor for lack of informed consent, you have to settle that claim with the medical examining board, which is 10 doctors and three lay people. So you can see they got this, it is, it is so bad how they have this legal entanglement. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've got your work, you've got your work cut out for you. I'm really, I was, I was looking forward to your answer to that question. Yeah, I do have my work cut out for me. And honestly, there needs to be 217 of me, right? I mean, I, I may be in the Republican party, but I am not exactly a, uh, a, a rhino or a uh, establishmentarian type of Republican. I stand alone. I'm a rebel. I don't get support by the GOP or the RNC because of my rebellious nature against those uniparty factions. Um, but we need more of me. We need more people who would say, I'll join the Freedom Caucus. I'll stand up against this tyranny. I'll tell them no. Even if we get nothing done and we shut down the country, if we shut down the government, good, right? That's the only thing that could be good would be happen if yeah. we did shut it down. Right. They may, right. When the, the propaganda comes out, it's like, oh my gosh, the government's going to shut down. And, you know, what I see, I think, oh, my, that would be fantastic. Yeah, it was, would. <laughs> so, how did you know, walk through how family you kind of briefly said in the, the whole story? Sure. Well, my father had COPD. He was a firefighter for 25 years, a Vietnam veteran. So, he had COPD, and the television told him to be scared. Um, he wasn't exactly a fearful man, but he knew that he had some comorbidities and some issues with his lungs, with his pulmonary, right? So he didn't go out into public very often. And um, on December 18th, no, December 18th is when grandma died. But on December 21st for her funeral, dad went to her funeral and he got exposed. And that was in 2021. And so by January, well, really by December 28th, he was down. And I really blame, obviously, we're upset about so many things, so many things. This has been a battle. First of all, the bioweapon itself to harm dad. But second to that, the fact that we couldn't get a hold of hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or even budesonide when we needed it. We got in touch with Dr. Richard Bartlett right away, and he yeah. prescribed for my dad those three things that he needed. Um, as well as a, a, a prednisone or some sort of steroid. And we couldn't right. get a hold of the budesonide and the ivermectin. And it pushed him down to 56% blood oxygen level, which meant he was about to have a stroke. And um, I forced mom to call 911. And um, that was our great regret because once they got a hold of him, he was medically kidnapped, ventilated, well, strapped to the bed, ventilated. We were kept away from him for days. And um, then they gave him remdesivir. No matter how many times we said no, remdesivir called constantly. The hospitalist at the hospital told my called her in the car. She was sitting in the parking lot trying to get in. They kept threatening her with jail time if she came in the hospital. Um, the hospitalist told her, you're not in charge of his medical care. We are. Yeah. 
And then they systematically killed him. I tried, I flew out right away. I was in Savannah, Georgia at the time. And I flew out right away to mom in Oklahoma and um, went to her and called all of my friends, like Senate, Senate legislators in the Senate of Oklahoma called the president of the hospitals. They were, they would say, oh yeah, they can come in. They can come in. And then we, when we would get there, we couldn't come in. They just would lie and obfuscate. I called every single day, several times a day to talk to a patient advocate at the hospital. She called me on Monday after he died on Friday. She had been out with COVID herself. She was the only patient advocate at the hospital, Mercy Hospital in Oklahoma City, to which I had already learned, Scott, that they had made $23 million on COVID. If you look it up, DHHS, you can see how much each hospital has made at that time. They had made $23 million treating COVID and they had one patient advocate and she was out with COVID and couldn't call me back. And I got no help whatsoever. The hospital was ghoulish. And I don't like to say that about people who serve right? They've served the community, but the doctors were ghoulish. The nurses were ghoulish. And by that, I mean, they said to me, of course, we're not going to give him ivermectin. That's horse paste. We're not going to follow anything from the frontline doctors, those COVID quacks. If you wanted him to go to a training, these were different times. It didn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't secession. If you wanted him to be in a training hospital, you should have sent him there. Please let him go so we can get him out and put him in a training hospital if that's all we can do to get him out. But they own him once he's there. Um, And he had no help, no advocacy from anybody inside the hospital. We were fighting to get into the doors. This story is exactly why the mainstream media is playing cover up right now. Because if every American heard what you just said and what I've been shouting from the rooftops, this would be over. It's, it's no different than when the, the airlines demanded wearing masks. If everybody said no, right. there would have never, they would have never been able to pull that off. But people are still walking into hospitals completely blind because the mainstream media will not let this story out. You know, we're hoping that Grace's lawsuit will do that. But this is what you just said. Uh, you said a mouthful there. You know, how, your dad, how long was he actually in the hospital? He went in the 28th. He died on the 7th. So what is that? Okay. 10 days? So 10 days he was in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Grace was only in seven. It's pretty typical that you see somewhere between 22 and 40 days once they have the ventilator and remdesivir protocols going because that maxim- maximizes the payout. You know, when you mentioned that hospital receiving $23 million. Those are incentive payments paid by the government, our tax money was used to incentivize murder, dad's murder. Right. I mean, that's there's there's the hospital here called Atrium Health in uh, 2023. The CEO received a 40 percent pay, a pay raise, (laughs) not a pay cut, a pay raise in 2023 based on 2022, uh, what occurred in 2022. So he went from get this 10 million dollar salary to $14 million salary based on COVID. Because it's it's an incentive-based system, but the incentive is based on profitability. The incentive, you know, we, we have bought into this paradigm that our government is there to protect us and all that, that, I mean, it's a complete lie. If they were here to protect us, the incentive would be based on how many people you saved, not how many people you killed. You know, it's, 
it's so backward. And, you know, just to add an exclamation point to your story, I mean, this went on for 39 months. And a few weeks ago, the first amnesty play was put out there. I mean, think about doctors and nurses getting amnesty. Okay, so amnesty could have applied to the first couple of weeks when they didn't know what they're doing, right? They have this perception it's an emergency, blah, blah, blah. But 39 months into it, and you're killing nearly 100% of your patients with a protocol. I mean, you can't, amnesty is not part of this equation. Yeah, no, accountability is part of the equation. Go ahead, Brooke. Which is why we want justice, Scott. And if we Correct. can't get justice on this side of heaven, we know God will deal with them. But we should still be going after that because of what's right, what's, what's, right, what's godly Absolutely. and what's constitutional. We shouldn't be looking to the government to save us, but we sure shouldn't be expecting them to kill us. And that's what they've been doing with COVID since 2020, really. And they're going to do it again. They're planning another one. In fact, they're meeting at Davos right now, Scott. They're calling it, they're wargaming something like they did for COVID in 2019. They had Event 201 in October of 2019. Right now, they're wargaming something called Disease X. And yep. you know that our government right now, we're under a captured government. We are being invaded at the border. Our government has been captured by the enemy. And they are going to perpetrate something right now. It's called disease X. I don't know what it'll be called by the time they release it, but something's coming and we better be ready. Yeah, that's right. And the best way we can be ready is to not have fear. And, you know, Satan will use that playbook, uh, problem, reaction, solution. And the reaction that is banked on is fear. So yeah. then they can implement the nefarious solution. And um, Stand up. Don't be afraid. Yep, we need to stand strong and, and stand on our roots. Um, speaking of roots, so I want to go backward and then we're going to go on to your plat your specific platform. Uh, how has your grassroots experience prepared you for this this battle? I mean, the battle right now, I'm guessing, is even worse. I mean, you're you're in this, you know, when you and I were talking beforehand and emailing back and forth, I mean, it seems like you're burning the candle on both ends. But anyway, just talk about how your experience has, got, has gotten you prepared for this. Sure. I've been, uh, I mentioned in the intro how I've been a pro-life advocate my whole life. Um, and then I went as a single mom, I was, I became a single mom in 2003. I didn't mean to, but it just happened. I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree. And I went to seminary. I went to New Life Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And I got an urban ministry degree with a Christian counseling um, focus. I never really went on to be a Christian counselor, but it seems to be that's what I've done with just talking with people and, and, in, and in life. But also, I've been, you know, concerned about the situation in our country. I've fought against um, amnesty. I've gone to D.C. a gazillion times with the Tea Party back in 2012 and 2013. And then in 2013, also, I, I led something called Two Million Bikers to D.C. I was not the leader, but I was a part of the, leading, the leadership of Two Million Bikers. We went to D.C. to fight back that summer. We had heard on TV for 9-11 for 2013, they were going to, yeah, 2013, they were going to um, have a million Muslim march on the mall. So they were taking over the mall in DC, the, the million Muslims. Well, okay. <clears throat> many of our conservative friends and motorcycle clubs across the country said, uh, no, not just no, but uh, double, you know, H-E double L, no, that ain't happening. So we'll come there. And we did. We literally had a million bikes um, many of those were Christian clubs. Many of the motorcycle clubs, as you may know, across the country do things that are like are helping children out of bad situations. They um, they're almost ministries. And so we had a million bikes in the city. We fought back. 
DHS had helicopters trained, you know, with guns trained on us, but we still went. They pulled our permit last day. We still went. We swarmed around like flies. So we fight back, right? We just make our presence known. I've gone to D.C. a lot to turn over paperwork to um, congressmen to say, you need to look at this for whatever it was, maybe one thing or another about amnesty. Uh, they were trying to force amnesty on us in 2013. If you remember also in October of 2013, they shut down all of they. It was a government shutdown. They shut down every park. They wouldn't let the veterans in. Right. Mm -hmm. All of the parks were shut down, but they let in the illegals when they wanted to march for amnesty for DACA, when the big DACA march took place, we fought back on that. So just pretty much all my life in Oklahoma, I moved to Oklahoma from North Carolina back home to be with mom and dad in 2014. There they had done something called um, a, they did a special session for more taxation, half a billion dollars of taxation on the poor for the teachers raises. Now I'm not against teachers raises, but Oklahoma was sitting on a surplus, Scott. So the taxation going back to the people that was offensive to me and to others like me with Senator Tom Coburn, who was a friend. We launched something called Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite, and we were trying to do a veto referendum on that bill because we had the money. There was no reason to tax the poor if we had the money. Why is it always right. going back to the people? Right. I'm right. not a, I'm not against teachers salaries being raised. My husband was a teacher at one point. I love teachers. I think they serve a great uh, ministry. They can. Some of them are also very uh, deviant and have done harm to students across the country. So we formed Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite and fought back on that. When I moved to Hawaii in 2019 to be near my daughter, who was suffering and going through some stuff through college, um, I launched something called Reopen Hawaii during COVID after launching Wahine for Trump, where we were going around the uh, going all around the island wearing our hats and just being proud of, of Donald Trump and his promises made, promises kept at the time. When COVID hit Hawaii, Hawaii was the most tyrannical state of the whole country. I mean, we were dealing with lockdown after, you know, lockdown, but also not just that. If you went to the beach, which is the whole reason you live in Hawaii, you would get right. a $5,000 ticket. Uh, people were getting ticketed if they weren't wearing their masks outside. It was just silliness. It just went rampant. So I sued the governor of Hawaii, uh, David Ige, and Harmeet Dillon was my attorney. They had her come in from San Francisco, pretty funny, and uh, wouldn't let her come. Once she came in, they told her, oh yeah, we're going to do this on site. Once she came in, they made her stay in her hotel room and Zoom from her hotel room. So that was a big waste of money, but they just do that to you. They just try to, you know, right. disenfranchise you and discourage you. But I will always fight back for the forgotten American, whether that's in North Carolina, Hawaii, Oklahoma, wherever I happen to live. Now I'm living in North Carolina by choice. I have a granddaughter who's 800 feet away from my front door to her front door. And we live out here in cow country. And I couldn't be more happy to be home where I, what I consider home with uh, my, my daughter, her husband and my granddaughter. But now I'm fighting. I'm going back. I want to get back to DC. I want to get up to DC and really do these battles. Um, and I think my grassroots history can help me. Wow, that was a great answer to the question. Uh, when I saw your pictures on your website, you don't know this, but I, my wife and I lived in Hawaii. Our first child, Travis, was born in Hawaii. So he's considered a native. Yeah. You, to be a native, you have to be born there. And when I saw the, I saw a picture of you outside of Aloha Stadium, 
and you know that's quite a that's quite a stadium. It becomes a uh, gigantic flea market every weekend. I don't know if it still did when you were there, but yep. uh, you know then recently the Hawaii governor, you're probably aware of this. Last June, he passed a law because there weren't enough doctors uh, signing signing off on the euthanasia agenda. So he said nurses could. Uh, sign the paperwork to euthanize somebody. Didn't have to have a doctor's signature, so it's it's quite interesting. You're right on. It's a Hawaii is quite a liberal state. It was a blast to live there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. It was the first two years Cindy and I were married. We moved to Hawaii and lived there a couple of years, so it was fun. But, I agree. Uh, yeah. But it's also got to get out of there. <laughs> my, yeah. my youngest daughter still lives there. And, um, you know, she's looking at $10 gallons of milk. I mean, it's really difficult right. to survive. Yeah, well, back then, uh, it wasn't $10 gallons of milk. This was in the 80s when we lived there. It was $4 gallons of milk. And in the grocery store, you know, in Wisconsin, the the uh, carts are huge in a grocery store. But in Hawaii, they all the carts are real tiny. So then yeah. it makes it seem like you're you're getting yeah. the same. You know, but parking, parking spaces too. You can't have a big old SUV. Parking spaces right. are tiny too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that we digress there. All right. I want to go through this platform document that you have in a, a degree of detail because I, I think it's it's critical. You're the only one that I know that is standing on this platform. So Don, can you bring up that platform document, please? All right. So this is what Brooke is demanding. So first, informed consent. All right, so I want to talk about each one of these, Brooke. So go ahead. What is your, well, your sure. perspective? How would you do this? Well, informed consent, first that term came about when we were talking about autism and vaccines for you know children that were being vaccine injured. But now we've got to discuss it about what's taking place with COVID in the hospitals. My dad didn't know that they were going to give him remdesivir. My mom begged and pleaded and screamed that they, you know, told them that they weren't going to, but they did. So you didn't have informed consent and you still don't, to my knowledge, the, the um, protocol remains the same. Bodily autonomy is just the thing that we were talking about during the vaccine mandates. Clearly we always say we, we shouldn't be getting between a woman and her doctor, but during the mandates, they forced everybody to lose their jobs or, or get the vaccine. You know, I, I was so right. mortified by watching Jimmy Kimmel say, you know, uh, unvaccinated guy coming in, you know, rest in peace, Wheezy. Uh, that was that was a joke. And people laughed at that. But literally, that was the evil spirit over the country. And it really permeated from the media down to your neighbor. We heard that a lot. You can't come in here. You can't eat this. You can't do that. You can't order this. My daughter couldn't even go to, back to college at UH Manoa. And they were only doing it via virtual school, but she had to be vaccinated in order to complete her degree or extend her degree program. She did end up graduating without having to do it, which was great. Medical personnel accountability is my third point of this of this um, platform. Honestly, I think they should be held to account. You talked about amnesty a little bit ago because some of them are asking for amnesty. And I know of whistleblowers. We know of people who what the nurses saw, they're coming out and they're telling us what they saw. We need to believe right. the ones that have said what they've said has happened. We need to believe them. But those that have stayed on and just continue to do it for the almighty dollar, I say no quarter for them. They should be held to account. The only way this won't happen again, Scott, is if we hold people responsible and we seek justice. 
the COVID response investigations, just like I was talking about earlier with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and budesonide being held from the public. I even have a doctor friend in St. Louis named Dr. Naputi who was sued by the FDA for trying to sell and help his patients with something as simple as vitamin D and zinc vitamin D and zinc. They tried to take his license away. We know of doctors who across the whole country who've had their licenses removed from them, have lost their clinics, have lost their homes, maybe even their livelihoods. We know of one doctor in the state of Washington who's been living in a tent and his family in a tent because of this, because he wanted to save lives, Scott. So, you know, that's part of the problem. The last second to the last one, they're ending the hospital homicides, as we've mentioned, that has to take first priority. We've got to save lives and we need justice for all those that have been killed under this horrible, horrible protocol, this horrible regime, the satanic agenda that has taken over the whole world. But certainly the United States has fallen into it hook, line and sinker. Yeah, I had Scott Miller on a few weeks back. Uh, that's the man who's living in the tent. And, yeah. you know, the the thing that bothers me about this list, this list is spot on. We could go off on a number of different things here. You know, the bodily autonomy is interesting to me because the people who believe in abortion say we need bodily autonomy, but then those same people don't think we need it when it comes to, you know, the illegal mandates. It's so strange to me. I mean, it's obviously hypocritical, but, you know, the bigger picture that I'm concerned about is the the reality that the people who are have been bought don't want to follow the rule of law anymore. So, I mean, we have, you know, you and I grew up with the idea that the rule of law controls, you know, there's a difference, you know, liberals and conservatives, we've always debated, but, and we always have had different ways to skin the cat, but we operated in within the rule of law. So for me, COVID exposed that the people who have been bought don't care about the rule of law anymore. So how do you, you know, you take this body of things, these six bullet points that you're standing on, which are, you know, they're a 10, they're fantastic. But how does this happen given there's a complete disregard for the rule of law? That's a tough question. We have to, I mean, obviously I'll take that to the Lord. I'll be in prayer over it for the whole, for definitely for my district, but also for the whole nation. We need a, we've, we've lost our moorings, Scott. We don't, we're not walking in repentance. We don't love our neighbor. You know, we're not, we're no longer virtuous as a people. So, I mean, really we are in a, we are in a lot of hurt regarding this whole thing. We definitely need the Lord's intervention, but also we can call for committees on, in Congress. I can call for committees for these investigations. I can call for committees to end hospital homicides. Uh, repealing the EUA, that's going to be something we're going to have to do. Also, uh, investigating the ESSER and the PREP Act and all of the COVID funds that went out to the tune of now we have $560 billion in COVID funds that are being called fraudulent funds. They can't find where they've gone. They just disappeared. That's Half a trillion dollars. It's more than half a trillion dollars. That's insanity. We just keep falling off this fiscal cliff, but we're also killing Americans. And uh, it just is, it feels like a total spiritual battle. So unless we are ready to gird up our loins and go before the Lord, then I don't think anybody should be doing it. Well, you just set up my clothes very well. um, What I would hope is that when you get into Congress, that the media is willing to give you an opportunity to speak 
because I think the media is our opportunity to get this word out. Uh, you know, that then we don't have to have wait for a committee and have things voted down and all the shenanigans that go on in Congress. So, you know, in closing, not, not, before, not before they repeal the Smith Munt modernization. Yeah. Act. That's something yeah. on my platform, too. We've got to get rid of that because they just are allowed to lie to us and propagandize us. And that's why we lived under fear during COVID. Well, I agree. I mean, well, now that you brought that up, I, I have a comment on, on, you know, so the Smith Munt Act was repealed, I think, in it was in Obama's term. I think it was in, two, in the in July of 2012. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, before that, the Smith-Munt Act said that the United States could use propaganda. I think it was originally passed in 48, 48. Uh, mm-hmm. against, you know, foreign entities. OK, so right. then the repeal allowed propaganda against its own citizens. But then when you start looking at things in the broader context, OK, so there was a law that said the the government couldn't use propaganda against its citizens. Well, what happened with uh, JFK's murder? Uh, what happened with 9-11? You know, so, I mean, regardless of the law, this is why I say they operate outside of the rule of law. They don't care. So, I mean, what was what was the whole purpose of even repealing? the Smith-Munt Act. That's rhetorical, but you can answer it if you want. Well, they modernized it. You know, it was the Smith-Munt Modernization right. Act. It wasn't really a repeal. They just changed right. it. And that was done in the dead of night in uh, 2012 during the NDAA under, you know, the Defense Authorization Act. So they sneak these things in. And they did that, of course, Christmas Eve when nobody was watching. Yep. Yep. Christmas Eve and uh, Thanksgiving yeah. Eve. You'll be surprised at how many things are passed then. It's really interesting. Right. Uh, so and I want to I want to do a quick wrap up, Brooke. Then I'm going to come back to you for the final word, and then you can just say whatever's on your heart. You know, in and so in closing, the most important thing that I have learned since Grace's death is that God is the order in this chaos. Satan wants us to believe in the humanist, satanic methods that bring order out of the chaos, and he has always used the angel of light strategy. And that fits under problem, reaction, solution. So the Hegelian dialectic, Satan creates the problem. The reaction is always some type of fear. And then he resurrects himself as the false light, the angel of light. And looks like he creates order out of the chaos that he, in fact, orchestrated. And I know for a fact that Jesus is sitting down right now at the Father's right hand, knowing everything. He's not surprised. He's not walking around pacing, thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do next? Uh, That's not what's happening. Um, We as a people, you know, we can't out-strategize Satan. We can't vote in a great leader to fix everything or swallow enough red pills to protect ourselves. However, God, Satan is still fearful of Jesus and those who walk with him. And God wants us to repent of not trusting him and following trap to this Antichrist system. I mentioned about the current Great Awakening at the beginning. I see that as the angel of light. And I know that because there's no call to repentance. I see COVID in the framing of Genesis 18. And in Genesis 18, Abraham said to God, well, aren't you going to give a warning to the, the people in Sodom before you destroy it? And, and God said, yeah, of course I am. Well, you wouldn't destroy it if there's 50 righteous, would you? And, and God said no. And then Abraham realizes, oh, my gosh, I made the number yeah. too high. And so he starts going, <laughs> going, going down to 10. And, you know, 
so what what's the message of that story? I mean, ultimately, God destroyed Sodom because of the sin. I mean, that's where we're at with the United States. I see COVID as that same warning. And what's the warning? I mean, God is still in charge. What does he want? He wants us to repent. If we don't repent, you know, the, the end time prophecies are being worked out in real time. You know, 2024, I think, is going to be the most chaos that the modern world has ever seen. Uh, because of the sin of man. And so what can we do? We can repent, walk with him, and there's never been a more urgent time to know him. That doesn't mean we're sitting around and just praying. That's not my point. There's things that we can do actively. We should be resisting, but it should come from him. That's the that's the long and the short of it. So Brooke, with all of that said, you have the final word, letter let her rip as long well, as Well, that you was want. great, Scott. That's totally true. Um, in 2012, I told my husband we had, I'd had a dream. It was really strange. Um, and I, I asked him to write it. For some reason, I felt led to tell my husband, you need to write this. And I wanted him to write, the Lord laid it on my heart, something called the Declaration of Our Repentance. And so I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, my husband is a history buff and he's been a history teacher and he's a political science major, you know, with master's degrees and all that. And um, he's like, I'll get to that later. And then um, he was going to run, uh, run the mower that day and it, it wouldn't work. So he sat down and he wrote it and it was, uh, it was great because uh, we read it a lot of places over the years. I've had it on different programs. Um, I've been using it a lot in my life. It's just, it's patterned after how Jefferson wrote the declaration of our, you know, of independence. And, uh, I read it actually at one of those great awakening when I had the speaker, when I was on stage and, um, you know, I got good results from it and good responses from it, but it just, you're totally right. We need to have a corporate repentant heart, but we don't do that because we're not, you know, we're not, a Christian nation anymore. We've lost our moorings. We have to walk in repentance. Um, I'm just one person. If I get into Congress, that's great. If I don't, I'll still do the same battle, the same fight on my knees, you know, um, with the Lord. But one thing we can do is elect more people that feel this way. People who are discerning the times, recognizing what's taking place, understanding that we are at the end of you know, of the church age in the last days. And really, how can we do that? But we can vet candidates. We can find out, do they know the Lord? Do they walk that way? Is that their life? You know, is that their history? If you'd like to help me, uh, I would love that. I, you can find my website, brookfornc.com. I, I hate asking for money, but unfortunately, that's how you have to do this. If I could get everybody that listens just donated $5, that means something to the numbers. And then when your opponents say, well, how come you didn't raise a million dollars? Well, I don't need to raise a million dollars. I need to raise a million warriors. I need a million people who care about this issue, a million Really, I only need, you know, 60,000 in the District 10. But across the country, you can do this, too. You can find people who have the same discernment, have the same fire in their belly to change things um, and look for those, vet those candidates, find them, support them, send them to D.C., send them to your state house, send them even to your commissions and your school boards, because the only way we're going to turn this around is if we uh, elect people who are on their face before the Lord, getting their marching orders from him and walking with him in his spirit. Wow. Well, it was a really a pleasant surprise to have you on today, Brooke. I mean, uh, to have a candidate be willing to share her faith is, 
I mean, I, I would consider that a miracle in today's environment. And so when you said, you know, normally I just say goodbye now, but you said 60,000. So walk me through what is, yeah. so this is the primary is on March 5th, correct? Right, right. It's right around the right. corner. Primary is March 5th. It's the presidential preference uh, primary election in North Carolina. It's called Super Tuesday across the country. Several states are doing it. So okay, so there that, should be a few few people coming out that day, right? Yes. So you're yes, you're on the you're on the ticket against your opponent. So I have how, there how are many five of us. Do you believe you need to have in order to to win yeah. the primary? Um, Patrick McHenry, our current congressman, won, won won the last election with only like sixty thousand votes. So I just need you know a handful. I just need a handful in each county. Um, but we've got to get. I've got to get over thirty percent in order to not have to have a runoff in May. If I get 30% and another person gets 30%, we ha we'll have a runoff in May and that's okay. Um, okay. But, but uh, so that's I'm how a, it works in North Carolina. Yeah. And I've got a couple of people. One, one gentleman is, so people are saying this is a three man race. There's really five of us on the ticket, but I think that through some uh, anecdotal polling, it looks like a four or three man race. Um, one of the gentlemen that I'm running against is a Green Beret, a West Point grad. So that's a very attractive, you know, slick. He's a very nice man, but, um, you know, he hasn't been doing this battle for a while. He's new to it. He's quite young. He's 36. And he's probably looking to get into Congress for 20 years, just like Patrick McHenry was. I'm not looking to do that. I'd like to go there for just a couple of sessions and then, um, you know, turn it back over as the founders in intended. It's not some place to go and to be for forever. It's a place to go and to do your work and then to turn it back over to somebody else in your in your area. That's why it's the representative. It's every two years. Right. Somebody new can turn over to somebody new. Um, another gentleman that is in the race is a local uh, legislator, which is he's also a very nice man. Um, but it does look like he voted to do the Medicaid expansion in our state after all the years we were fighting against Obamacare and trying to get that repealed. Now he's voted and, and perpetuated the um, Medicaid expansion in North Carolina. So that would be called some people call that a rhino or an establishment type Republican because they just get sucked into what they think they have to do in order to maintain. Um, I'm not going to do that. I think I've made it very clear that I'll, even if I'm standing alone, I'll stand against those things because I'm a constitutional purist and I want to follow the uh, enumerated powers and I want to follow the Bible. Wow. Well, Brooke, it was really quite a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for, thank you for your willingness to take time out of your schedule. I know you are swamped. You're busier than I am right now. Uh, yeah. So I'll say goodbye. And then if you just hang on, we'll say goodbye officially after Don closes us out. So thank you. for further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.